Today, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to know, uh, we're going to read this passage at the end. We're not going to get into it now. So Hebrews chapter 10, we'll look at a little bit later in the message today. If you spend any significant amount of time around here, around Grace Fellowship, you're going to discover small groups are more than something that we do. We are a church, we say, of small groups. We talk about our big rocks. It's number six, and we say inside the description of that big rock that it is the heartbeat of Grace Fellowship. And for those who are not inclined to go to a small group or connect, I know it sounds like, it, it sounds like to you, uh, like the Peanuts cartoon. And whenever they got on the phone, you would hear the voice, wah, 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 wah. That's what it sounds like. I know. I know it does. But you're going to get a taste of it again today. In fact, the first service, I said, today is small group Sunday, and very low, somewhere in the room, someone went, oh, like that. Uh. It's more than a program. And I just wonder, for those of you who've been around for a while, have you ever wondered why? Why we do it? Because it's not prescriptive in Scripture. The Bible does not say, you shall work six days, and on the seventh day... You shall rest, and on the eighth, you shall go to small group. It's not there. But we've made it a big rock. Meaning that we, as your elders, have concluded that it is so thoroughly biblical that we put it forth as foundational, fundamental to how we operate. And today, what I'd like to do, briefly, I'm going to bring us back to the basics, the foundations of why we treat this as vitally important. And there are really only two things I have to offer you today. And so I'd like for you to focus with me in the the little bit of time we have left on these reasons, two reasons, and these are not all of them, but just two, why you, yes, you, put your name in there, why you need to plug into a small group. First, you need significant Christian relationships. We all do. We all gain from it. Rob Green, Dr. Rob Green, in his excellent premarital guide on marriage called Tying the Knot, which is available in the Resource Center. It's great for uh, people thinking about married, being married, and it's also great for couples who have been married for some time to get back to the basics. But it's interesting, in that book, he says, he puts forth a chapter that, frankly, when you first see it, you go, why is this chapter in this book about marriage? It's entitled Community with Jesus at the Center. And he goes on to say, a chapter like this belongs in a book about marriage for a simple reason. God designed us to be in community. Being married forms one of the most significant relationships. But the problem with it is one 
is that sometimes we conclude, conclude, well, if I get married, I have my community. I have my family. And sometimes we conclude family is community. And family relationships, being married, relationships at work are all valuable. All of them. I'm not downplaying their value. What I am saying is they're not essential for spiritual growth. Yeah, you can be single, you can be divorced, you can face sexual temptation of all kinds, and yes, you can be like that and being spiritually healthy. Why? Because you are connected to a community that helps you walk through it. I say it almost yearly. Caterpillars become butterflies and cocoons. But believers don't grow that way. We grow in community. And at Grace Fellowship, it's vital for your growth. And frankly, if you call Grace Fellowship your home, it's fundamental to who we are. We're a church of small groups. So I meet people all the time. Roughly, Roughly in the last... 24 months, we have 400 new people at Grace Fellowship. What an amazing blessing God has given us. But I ask, and I I meet people all the time that that I, I can see it. I can see it in their eyes. They're a whole lot like I was. They conclude right off. I I don't, I don't know that I need that. I don't need that. I either, I don't, I'm not sure, or I definitely know I don't need that. And they don't get why we make it so important. But if I can get into a dialogue going with them, if I can get into a dialogue with them, I often find it's funny. It's almost as if we're asking them to do something totally contrary to everything that they're wired about. It's like, it's like they're saying, you want me to do what? You want me to go where? And to do what's like I'm asking them to play with snakes and eat bugs. I'm also, it's interesting that it really is counterintuitive, it's counterintuitive to the way we do things in culture. We teach our kids, don't talk to, what? Strangers. And then I'm telling you, I want you to go out in the lobby and meet a stranger and drive out to a stranger's house and sit in their strange living room <laughs> and talk with them. And we can even make it even stranger. If you can't sing like I do, I'm going to make you face one another and sing toward one another. How bizarre is that? I actually had a conversation that I had last year that I loved because it was so transparent. And this gentleman I don't see any long, uh, anymore here. But he said to me, Brian, I think, I think I would go, but I must tell you, I have a hard time liking most people. But the next thing that he said was actually the telltale thing. He said, I'm probably not very likable anyways. Which actually, folks, we don't, we don't just conclude that. that is, that's either said to us or it's felt. There's lots of people who sit in a room this size across three services that don't feel like that they're very likable. And so they're not... They're not inclined to go. They think they're damaged goods. 
You're not damaged goods. You're not. We ask you to go because we want you to stick around. We ask you to go because we want to be a sticky church. And connection makes people stick. And that doesn't happen on Sunday morning. Significant relationships with care, love, and commitment, they happen inside a small group. It's not found looking across the back of other people's heads this direction. It's up close. It's personal. It's life on life. And yes, yes, we know it's a big ask. And yes, we know it can be messy. It'll cost you some convenience. It'll cost you some comfort. But with it, you will gain depth. With it, you will gain compassion. With it, you'll get connected to a growing, healthy body. Other people that you can be loyal to. And they'll be loyal to you. And loyalty is very elusive in our culture. We don't talk a lot about it. But when it happens, it usually happens really slowly. If it happens at all. We do this with companies And it's very sad. We also do this in relationships. We just kind of throw people away. See, in my home, let me illustrate. In my home, there is one type of saltine cracker and one type of ketchup. Now, for those of you who do not have taste, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But for those of you who instantly know those two brand names... You know what I'm talking about. And I'm not going to mention them because I don't want any more nasty emails, okay? (laughs) All right? Because you may disagree. You're entitled to be wrong. (laughs) I recently went to my local market, which I also will not say where that was, to find that my cracker was no longer on the shelf. And I thought, well, they've had a rush on crackers. It feels like chili season, but no... No, so no, none there. And every store runs out of occasionally. So a few days later, because we're out, out, I go back, not on the shelf anymore. So I began looking carefully, because you have to look at the little labels on the, where are they? And they're not just gone, they're gone, gone. Like wiped from the planet. So, I, in angst, go Google what's going on with this market and this cracker. (laughs) And sure enough, guess what? There was an article that they are no longer carrying this cracker. So, I did the mature, godly thing. In an instant, I was done with my grocery store. (laughs) Goodbye convenience, goodbye good prices, goodbye immaculately clean stores, many selections, all over a box of crackers. A box of crackers. You say, well, how does that fit? Do you ever find it interesting that you and I, we can encounter people in the lobby of a church or the nursery worker that just kind of looked at us a little bit funny or they didn't greet us or somebody didn't remember your name and in an instant, bam, I'm done. You're out of here. 
the sense of loyalty, gone. It's not just us. According to the United States Office of Consumer Affairs, 96% of dissatisfied customers never tell a company that they've had a problem with that they've had a problem. 96%. Do you know what they do? It's the thing that makes business owners lay awake at night. They just go away. See, we have an idea in our head about what people come to church for. What makes them stick. But you could be wrong. In fact, I would say most of us, even leaders, conclude the wrong things. Studies show us that about 90% of church attenders came in because of Sunday preaching, of teaching, and the music. Sunday experiences. But less than half stay because of it. Statistics show us, the best church statistics show us, that 70% of you who stuck around, stick around because you're connected to other people. There's connection. There's community. There's ministry. There's groups that you're involved with. We want you to stay. We want to shut the back door. We want you to connect, and we want you to know that significant relationships can be found in a small group, and we want you to do it for a very important reason, which is number two. And it's a reason that you may have never concluded. In fact, you may have concluded actually something very different about why you need a small group. See, we need small groups because becoming a mature believer requires that you engage in one another life-on-life life experiences. So not only do you gain something, you're designed to give something. Believers, you need to understand that there are three things that you need. You need to grow, you need to mature, and you need to serve. And what happens is often... Here we are into the 21st century, we often conclude that if I am gaining more knowledge, I'm growing more. But that's really not what the scripture teaches us. When I say you need to grow, you need to mature, you need to serve, I say that they're really not very, ever very far apart in scripture. And the conclusion that we have is that if I just gain more knowledge, I'm maturing. Yes, you need the Bible. First and foremost, you need the Bible to grow. You need to be sitting under sound teaching. You need to be reading your Bible. And you need to be studying. Yes, you need the Bible to grow. But you need the Bible and other believers up close to mature. You can grow into a knowledgeable Christian and never be a mature one. There is a vast difference. And I I will tell you, if you want to understand who Grace Fellowship is, if you really kind of want to understand an overall arching theme, we're a church that says sound biblical teaching is what you need. You need it and you need a steady diet of it. But it is not Enough. Wow. 
So we do not build programs that are linear, where you get this, and then you get this next thing, and then you get this next thing, and this thing, and this thing, and this thing. We do not program our church to gain you more and more and more, where you sit and listen and listen and listen and listen and listen. We say it's not enough because you need one another. You need each other, life on life, up close, personal. You say, well, Brian, where do you draw that? Well, more than 50 times in the New Testament, we see these one another passages, which means you on you, one anothering, caring for one another. And today we put in your bulletin a, a, little, um, a little bookmark, and it has several of them. And so this morning, with a little bit of time left, I'm going to just hit some of the highlights of them and what they mean. And I'm going to talk about some of them that's not on that bookmark as well. Let's start with Jesus in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Loving one another is the distinguishing characteristic Jesus says in this passage. The distinguishing characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ. That you are loving one another. Love is not a noun here. Love is a verb. It means it's taking action toward other people. This is the hug. We all need hugs. All God's children need hugs. And it's difficult to hug ourselves. Romans 12.10 reinforces this. Paul said, love one another with brotherly affections. Outdo one another. In showing honor. Outdoing one another and showing honor means that other people weigh heavy in your life. Life cannot be just about you and you mature. I mean, can you imagine birthing a child and you go, now you're here, you're on your own. Take nurture. They don't mature automatically. We need one another. Romans 12, 16, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. You know what living in harmony means? It means that even though we're all here looking different, smelling different, we may even act different. But that does not mean we cannot live in harmony with one another. Doing life together, pursuing one another. Then on down through, we could go through many, many passages. 2 Corinthians 13 says we're to comfort one another. Galatians chapter 5 says that we are to serve one another. Galatians chapter 6 says we are to bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is this? Bearing one another's burdens. At the heart of that passage... Is not just that we all have difficult moments, but there's difficult moments that grow out of sin in our own life and the lives of other people that press against us. And we as believers are to get under the load with other people who are hurting at their own hands and things that have happened to them. Does that that characterize you? you? Do you move toward hurting people? 
or do you move away? See, the sins of others and life burdens are going to find us. The sin of our own sin will become evident. And this is hard. It's hard to do, hard to bear one another's burdens. But we're instructed in the scripture that this is something we are to do. And with it, I want you to understand, all God's children need hugs. All of us also occasionally will need a kick in the rump. And this is the kick in the pants. And like the hug, we cannot do it effectively ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5. Colossians 3, do not lie to one another. Are you honest about yourself? Are you transparent about you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us to encourage one another. And then James 5 says we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. This is a path of maturity. This is a path of growth and change. And we all need it. And out of confession, we learn to pray and care for one another. And if you have a history of basically hiding everything that's really going on in your life, small group will be incredibly beneficial to you. It will also be challenging. But it'll be good. I want to show you an example how it can be really good. Glenna Mills. Glenna came to my small group with her daughter, Julie. Last May, Glenna was baptized here at Grace Fellowship. Prior to her being baptized, she courageously told me that she had spent her whole life believing in God, but not being too sure about Jesus. Knew that he was important, but the whole Jesus thing sometimes just made her a little bit uncomfortable. She came to know the Lord in my small group and coming to Grace Fellowship. And after she was baptized in May of 2017, she discovered that she had cancer. And she went to be with her Savior in early August, just last month. She was with us in the spring in small group. She's now home with the Lord. Small group changed her life, she told me. And she changed ours. Because of her honesty and courage. And her honesty and courage was that she began to be transparent, truly, about a lot of things. And telling your pastor some things can be really hard. And telling your family about things can be really hard. She told her family, and she told me, that much earlier in her life, she had a little boy and she gave him up for adoption. And she told her family, she said, I, I'd love to see him. 
but it's important that you know that you have a brother. So they began looking, and as they looked, guess what they found out? He was looking for her. And over the summer before she passed, I had the privilege of standing in the room with him and with her and watching a young at heart Christian, this woman, rejoice how the Lord makes things whole, makes things complete and redeems. You and I all have things. Have things going on in our life. And sometimes we have a tendency that when things get tough, we just kind of pull back and we isolate ourselves. But God never intended you to live that way. God intended you to one another. And not only does he give that in, a, in Scripture, he also gives us this in examples in creation. In his created order, in nature, that point us to this truth. And one of them is the redwood forest. The largest tree on the earth, largest trees on the earth, stand because of how they're connected. Let's take a look. I grew up by miles of redwood trees, tall, strong, and beautiful. And I learned a couple of things, that redwoods are the tallest trees in the world. They are some of the strongest, most resilient. Storms and fires cannot take them, and they are Latin for the term forever living. But their roots don't even run that deep. They are only that strong, and they only live that long because their roots intertwine with other surrounding redwood trees. Alone, a redwood won't grow as tall and can sometimes be blown over by the weather. But in a forest of redwoods, underneath the soil surface, there's millions of roots connected, and they are better together. And when I think of these redwoods, I think of us here. I think of how often we try to go through life by ourselves. The times we've been hurt, the times we've been left, the times we've been damaged by someone else. And so we decide that we are just fine, all alone. But God says, that's not what I created you for. Jesus was passionate about people and community and believed the church was the hope of the world. He calls it a family because here we find our identity. He calls it a temple because we're like pieces that come together to build and hold up one another. He calls it a flock of sheep because we're cared for by the same shepherd. He calls it a body because we're all different parts and no purpose or function is like the other. He calls it his bride because the church is the love of his life and he calls it a vine or a garden because we're only productive when we're connected. He says the lost have hope through it. He says the hurt are healed through it. He says that we must love, forgive, and fight to protect it because the community of the church is his absolute favorite. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against much like a redwood forest. We need each other to survive. We need to hold on to one another, intertwine to stand firm against the trials of this life. The gates of hell will not have the victory when we are the church God wants us to be. So let's be 
redwoods alone they can't do much but together they are miraculous together they are brilliant together they hold each other up so no storms no hell can take them the church the bride the body the temple the flock the family the garden the forest of redwoods whatever you want to call it god says we're better together so no matter the weather fight for it made to grow here. We were made to stand tall here. We were made to be a part of this forest here with each other, representing the creation of God, staying strong against all odds and going through this life together. In Hebrews chapter 10, I had directed you to, I want to share what the writer had to say to the early church that was scattered. And it's interesting because many times I've heard this passage used as why we need to make sure we're gathering on Sunday. I'm inclined to believe that why it's more likely what it has to do with us gathering in smaller groups. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need one another's. We need to be one anothering. We need each other. This morning we have in this room, among our 55 small group leaders and others coming, we have many small group leaders. I'm going to ask you, if you're a small group leader, to stand. If you're serving now or have ever served as a small group leader, just stand up, please. All around this room, thank you. Let's, let's thank them. These are faithful shepherds of the body of Christ at Grace Fellowship. They are really good. Just, I mean, honestly, I watched some stand up this morning and went, ooh, I'd like to go to that small group. I'd like to go to that small group because I know the heart. And today, when we dismiss, I'm going to encourage you. We're going to dismiss and give you time to go out and meet some of these small group leaders. Ask them if you've never engaged in small group life, what's it like to come to your group? Get to know them. You'll get some invitations. Or you can jump online, click on the couch at graceky.org, and, and you can connect um, to one that, that's, that will fit you. Just go. Be good for you. Before we dismiss this morning, I think that it's absolutely wise and appropriate for us to pray. Pray for Texas and for Florida as Irma comes ashore. We're a thousand miles from what's going on there. There's a lot going on in people's hearts. People have fled inland. This is no small thing. It's a storm the size of the state of Ohio. I want to ask you to pray.
pray with me and let's pray for them. Let's stand together. Father God, oh, we need mercy. You are powerful. Lord, we're reminded in these storms that we're weak. I'm reminded that you're holy and I'm not. We are not. And we've made our lives, we've, we've made them about things and about property and about stuff. And today those things are, are being stripped away in the path of your might as it's displayed. Oh God, we're asking be, be merciful to lives, to people. So many people right now are frightened there. They, they, don't, they don't know what the next hours or days will bring. But we know you hold all things. We don't deserve anything. And we spend little time thinking about you and little time really acknowledging you. Yet you've been mindful of us. You've given us Jesus. You've given us hope. You love your creation. Please give mercy and minimize the damage and loss. Turn eyes to you. And use us, Lord, your people, to help, to pray to you, and to help as we can, to to send money, to do what we can, to serve, and to love the suffering. And Lord, we're so... We're so far removed from that right now. You're not. Grant us hearts to feel, Lord, what we need to be feeling. Guide us to pray. Grant us peace and knowledge that in Christ, that nothing, no storm, nothing will ever separate us. Lord, care for those people in the path. Watch over them, Lord. Be merciful to all of us, please. We pray and offer our prayer only in the mighty name of Jesus. God's people said, amen. Amen.